0: Log Talk Radio. of Live Without Limits, reach personal success on a daily basis. I'm your host, David and today we're going to dive into the captivating world of releasing sorrow and grief. So join me as we explore the profound impact that sorrow has on shaping our grief and how we can bridge the gap between the two. And today's presentation is titled Seven Practical Ways to Help You Release Sorrow and Grief. First, I'd like to talk about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book, The Five Stages of Grief, because this is something that I think everyone goes through. And one of the things that I remember when I first started studying about the five stages of grief is that when I grew up with a disability, I was constantly, constantly, constantly being told that I was and made to feel as though I was worthless. And I remember having to go through the five stages of ex- till I finally accepted that I am who I am and I can be the best person of who I am. So it's a very, very important subject to talk about and to deal with simply because it helps us understand where we come from and how to deal with anything that comes up in our lifetime. So throughout life, We experience many instances of grief. Children may grieve a divorce. A wife may grieve the death of her husband. A teenager might grieve the ending of a relationship. Or you might have grieved the loss of a pet. And I don't know how many times people have talked about or or misunderstand that Any young child who loses a parent has a hard time dealing with certain things unless they go through and get grief counseling because they're too young to understand exactly what's happening. And until they do that, they cannot handle anything else that happens in life. So in 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross described five common stages of grief, popularly referred to as DABDA, which is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And denial is when you literally deny that something happened. And I think we all know that this is something that Harry has been going through all his life and has never gone through and really accepted the loss of his mother. And all he's sitting in that stage of anger where he's literally striking out at everyone and everyone else and blaming them because of what happened. The next stage is the bargaining where if you remember someone who's in uh, that's up there in age Often they will do anything to try to keep themselves alive. And I know someone that had cancer and had a very rare form of cancer and literally went on into a study where she got a medication that was supposed to stop the growth of it. All it did was maybe extend her life another year or two, but she was literally homebound those last few years. And then people go through the stage of depression before they actually get to the fact of accepting someone else's death or the fact that their death is imminent. And often older people, by the time they... Uh, are in the last stages of their life, they really get to the point where they're just accepting of what's coming. And especially couples who have been married for many, many, many years and have had a really great relationship, often you will find that within a matter of months or a year that the partner will follow their spouse. A swiss psychiatrist Kubler-Ross first introduced her five stages of grief model in her book on death and dying. Kubler-Ross's model was based on her work with terminally ill patients and has been the subject of debate and criticism in the years since, mainly because people studying her model mistakenly believe this is the specific order in which people grieve and that all people go through all the stages. Kubler-Ross now notes that the stages are not linear and some people may not experience all of them. Others might only undergo a few stages rather than all five. It is now more readily known that these five stages of grief are the most commonly observed in the grieving population. Denial. Denial is when the stage that can initially help you survive the loss. You might think life makes no sense, has no meaning, and is too overwhelming. You start to deny the news and in effect go numb. It's commonly in this stage to wonder how life will go on in this different state. You are in a state of shock because life as you once knew it has changed in an instant. If you were diagnosed with a deadly disease, you might believe the news is incorrect. A mistake must have occurred somewhere in the lab. They mixed up your blood work with someone else's. If you receive news of the death of a loved one, perhaps you cling to the false hope that they identified the wrong person in the denial stage you are not living in actual reality. Rather, you are living in a preferable reality. Now, I'm going to talk about this simply because it it's, it, it really fits in here. And if you remember in some of his little uh, interviews, Prince Harry has often said how he, he literally, when he heard his mother passed away, that he was really in the denial stage because what he was doing was he didn't want to accept what was being said and he turned to drugs and alcohol and other things as many of us have seen so publicly just because he did not want to accept the loss of his mother. This is why... I'm sure he had options and could have gone for help, but probably refused to. And it really wasn't until later in life that he sought out for help. But you can tell from the way he's still talking today, no matter how many times he has gone in for therapy, no matter how many times he's talked about it, he sits in this stage because he chooses to. Interestingly, it is the denial, shock, and help you cope survive the grief event. Denial aids in pacing your feelings of grief. Instead of becoming completely overwhelmed with grief, we deny it, do not accept it, and stagger its full impact on us. Think of it as your body's natural defense mechanism saying, hey, there's only so much I can handle at once. Once the denial shot at the start to fade, then the, heal- and the healing process begins. At this point, these feelings that you were once suppressing are coming to the surface, and that's anger, and that's when you're angry at the world because this happened to you or happened to someone that was close to you that you still needed in your life because one thing when you find someone whether it's a parent or a soulmate there's such a closeness there that you literally just don't want to accept that they're gone. I think as we get older, we we, we begin to realize that for us, there's an end coming because we, we're through, we have a cycle of life. It starts at birth and it ends at death. And how you live your life in between is determined on the way you were raised, the whether or not it was a loving and nurturing family or whether or not it was a dysfunctional family. And more times than not, you're seeing that for Harry being as young as he was and his, his personality being what it is, it's easier for him to either clown around or blame other people Instead of accepting that he has the control over his life, he has the control over his feelings, and he has to grow up and change. Because you can't remain that child who wants to blame the world, all the wrong done to them, because life is full of its ups and downs. So once you start to live... actual reality again, anger might start to set in. This is a common stage to think, why me? Life's not failure. You might look to blame others for the cause of your grief and also may redirect your anger to close friends and family. You find it incomprehensible how something like this Could happen to you if you were strong in faith, you might start to question your belief in God. Where is God? Why didn't he protect me? And often when a young child loses a parent due to illness or due to a car accident, where even though in an illness you may think, well, it's a long process, for a child, it may feel sudden and unexpected. So researchers and mental health professionals agree that this anger is, ne- is a necessary stage of grief. And encourage the anger. It's important to truly feel the anger, even though it might seem like you are in an endless cycle of anger It will dissipate and the more you truly feel that the anger, the more quickly it will dissipate and the more quickly you will heal. It is not healthy to suppress your feelings of anger if it is a natural response and perhaps arguably a necessary one. Now, here's the thing. We've seen this in Harry, where he's blaming everyone else, but he, and he very well may have been coming out of this and finally accepting it and living in the world and, and understanding how his, his life can have meaning to it, but he happens to meet someone that herself has her own issues, and she has put them right back into all these stages of death and dying, only he seems to be stuck in the stage of anger. So however, we, while suppressing anger is not advised, neither is letting it control you. It's important to seek help from a trained counselor or therapist. If you're struggling, With the processing of your anger in everyday life, we are normally told to control our anger towards situations and towards others. When you experience grief, events, you might feel disconnected from reality. That you have no grounding anymore. Your life has shattered and that's nothing solid. To hold on to, think of anger as a strength to bind you in reality. You might feel deserted or abandoned during a grief event. That no one is there for you, or alone, and this in this world, the direction of anger towards something or somebody, is what might bridge you back to reality and connect you to people again. It is a thing. It is something to grasp onto, a natural step in the healing. The next stage is bargaining. When something happens, have you ever found yourself making a deal with God Please, God, if you heal my husband, I will strive to be the best wife I can ever be and never complain again. This is bargaining. In a way, this stage is a false hope. You might falsely make yourself believe that you can avoid the grief through the type of negotiation. If you change this, I'll change that. If you were so desperate to get your life back to how it was before the grief events, you were willingly to make a major life change in an attempt toward normality. Now, how many times in the movies have you seen where spouses have been called to the hospital and and they've heard where their partner was dying, and you would just hear them start bargaining with God to please keep them alive. And if they keep them alive, this is what they will do. It's a common feeling and a common way of dealing with life and death. Guilt is a common wingman. of bargaining, this is when you can experience a seemingly endless string of what-ifs. What if I had left the house five minutes sooner? The accident would have never happened. What if I encouraged him to go to the doctor six months ago like I first thought? The cancer could have been found sooner. And he could have been saved. And the next stage is depression. Depression is commonly associated with grief. It can be a reaction to the emptiness that we feel when we're living in reality and realize that the person or situation is gone or over. In this stage, you might withdraw from life, feel numb, live in a fog, and not want to get out of bed. The world might seem too much and too overwhelming for you to face. You might not want to be around others or feel like talking, and you might feel helpless. You might even experience suicidal thoughts, thinking, What's the point of going on? And this is because when you get into that state of depression, life has no meaning. And when life has no meaning to you, you would rather be gone. I can tell you this much. I have a sister that's deaf, and she was made so dependent on my mother that... And my mother's been gone 11 years. She has gotten to the point that she doesn't even know how to get up, to take a bath, to make breakfast, to have a routine. The first thing she does is she goes back to bed because she doesn't know what else to do with herself. We have to learn to make a life for ourselves in spite of what's going on around us. And I know it's hard. And when you're talking about the the stages of death and dying, yes, there is a point where you have to get to the acceptance stage. And this is the last stage of grief that was identified by Kubler-Ross as acceptance, not in the sense of it's okay, my husband died, but rather my husband died but I'm going to be okay. In this stage, your emotions may begin to stabilize. You reenter reality. You come to terms with the fact that the new reality is your partner in never coming back or that you are going to succumb to your illness. It's not a good thing, but it's something that you can make or move forward from, it is definitely a time of readjustment and adjustment. There are good days, and there are bad days, and then there are good days again. In this stage, it does not mean you'll never have another bad day where you're uncontrollably sad, But the good days tend to outnumber the bad ones. So in this stage, you may lift from your fall to engage with friends again and might even make new relationships as time goes on. You understand that your loved one can never be replaced, but you move, grow, and evolve into your new reality. Grief and loss take on many forms. It can also appear when you least expect it, such as when you finally think you've processed what has happened. At other times, it may feel heavy, like a crushing weight that you can't quite crawl out from under. In fact, Processing grief can take significant time and various rituals. Some even say we don't actually process grief, but merely get used to it. However, we can practice ways to let go our emotions, whether you've lost a loved one or are facing the end of a relationship. The hurt exists. It's real, and for some time, we may feel as though we need to hold on to it for fear of more loss and hurt. So when you're ready to go and let go and move forward, use the following ways to release the sorrow and grief by making room for new and happier emotions to enter your life again. So here are some practical ways to help you release sorrow and grief. Write a letter. This could be to your ex or to the one who is gone. This can offer a safe and private space to pour out your emotions. So take time. Write anything that comes to mind, whether that includes regrets, or the unknown, or how to move forward without them. Bury it literally and figuratively. Okay, this may feel a little woo-woo, yet this practice offers a symbolic way to let go. Grab an item in your, or your ladder. Find a place among nature. Now dig a small but shallow hole in the ground. Place your item or ladder so to just make it the environmentally friendly in the hole. Here you can choose to say a few words such as, I've carried the weight for too long and I'm ready to let it go. I'm ready to allow Mother Nature to use the energy for growth. You can either burn the item or you can bury it. Give yourself permission to feel. Many of us try to fight our emotions, especially when they are negative. But what if this time you gave yourself permission to feel it? What if you allowed yourself to cry until you couldn't anymore? Surprisingly, this can be very cathartic, offering some release and some reprieve from the heavy weight of loss and grief that you might be feeling. Be patient. Time is your friend. While we can't change the past, we can learn to take the time as it goes on to feel better that practicing patience with ourselves is the best way to go because pain can be healthy. And healthy pain means allowing the emotions to come up as time goes on and not suppress them. So say goodbye on perhaps the time that didn't allow for a proper farewell or maybe you just wanted more time, so much was left unsaid. While funerals offer a public place to say goodbye, you can also do it in your own time. Writing a letter, as we said about earlier, we can very accept be in the healing stage. Just spending time talking to the person from your heart. When you are alone and this is part of the healing, what would you say? What are you wanting them to know? What would make you feel even more slightly better? Being able to express it to them. So it is completely natural response to loss Whether the loss was my choice or not, the truth is that grief can feel overwhelming. Make us want to push it away. However, this is often only makes it more pronounced. Echoing in other parts of our lives or actions, instead of feeling our way through it, is the best way to heal. So grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all love that you want to give but cannot. All the unspent love gathers in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just the love with no place to go. And we don't realize just how important it is that in many ways that we feel is real and remember you can go to my website and that website is the number one personal career coach dot com and you can get and sign up for either group or individual coaching